This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. A happy hour Friday show as we get you ready for the weekend here on the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill, Hunter Brody. Josh Henning producing today's show. You out there on this Friday edition. Starting to feel a little summerish out there. Supposed to be in the 80s this weekend. Crack open your happy hour Friday IPA. And let's do this thing, baby, as we got a lot of stuff to get into, bros. You know, by the end of the show, we might know what the NBA season is going to look like. So we will uh, keep our eye on that. They're supposed to have the call with the Board of Governors today on the whole NBA uh, possible what this season might look like. Are we going to get 24 teams, 16 teams, eight teams from each conference? How's it going to be? We might know by 6 o'clock tonight. We got that. We got uh, the NHL return. We got uh, MGPT Top 5 at 5. It's a fun topic today. Ten years ago today, Roy Halladay threw a perfect game against the Miami Marlins, the Florida Marlins, I think they were back then. Best right-handed pitchers from 2000 to 2010. We got that for you for the MGPT Top 5 at 5. The Broad Lines, Ask Mike and Broads. But we're going to start off with Carson Wentz and the Eagles. And ESPN.com put out an article that ranked all 32 quarterbacks in terms of commitment. No, not to their wives. How committed every team is to their starting quarterback from one to 32, how committed the Eagles are to Carson Wentz, how committed every team is to their quarterback. And I think you might find the findings a little interesting there, Broats. Absolutely, no doubt about it. Even the top of the list kind of, it tells a lot. So when you look at the teams that are tied together to their quarterback the most, I think that really does tell a lot about where this league is and, and how they kind of put their contracts together for their quarterbacks. You know, we've had a lot of debates on the show regarding the drafting of a backup quarterback by the Eagles in the second round. And I have stated that I don't have a problem with what they did because I don't look at Jalen Hurts as simply a backup quarterback. But what I did say was, I think you're going to start seeing more teams follow the Eagles' lead here, where they're going to start drafting quarterbacks higher in the draft for these reasons. In other words, they're going to sign these quarterbacks to contracts, and let's be honest, the team doesn't want to pay the quarterback what they have to pay them, but that's what the market is. But all of these teams are trying to build in ways to get out of the contract so that, hey, we're going to give you the money you're asking for, but we're going to give ourselves a little doggy door on the backside so that we can sneak out of that thing if we have to. In other words, we're going to be constantly evaluating you because of the money that we've decided to pay you. So just because we paid you the big money doesn't mean the evaluation ends. We will be watching you even closer now because of the money we paid you. Because ultimately, Broads, most teams don't want to pay the quarterback that big contract if they don't have to because they know the chance to win is on that first contract when the quarterback's not making the money. Absolutely. You saw it with Russell Wilson. I mean, the team was thriving when he was on that contract, and then he had to get paid, and then things changed. He got to redo the whole entire team. 
it's just interesting because one of the big things that a lot of players say once they sign that big deal, the minute you put your name on that piece of paper, they are automatically trying to find a cheaper version of you. Look at the Rams. They signed Jared Goff. Four years, $134 million extension he got in September of last year. It's $57 million guaranteed. He is, right now, in all of the NFL, according to this list, the most locked-in contract in all of football for quarterbacks. Do you think the Rams are happy with that, that they have Jared Goff locked in till 2024 with basically no way to get out of that deal? Look, the Rams went to the Super Bowl when Goff was on his rookie deal. But as soon as he signs that deal, the Rams are in you know, salary cap disarray. They can't get out of their own way. They had to start giving people away because Jared Goff is signed to that contract, and it's going to bite them. The Rams are going to go from a Super Bowl team to probably cobbling some random group of guys together just to try to stay around 500. I don't necessarily think, though, that this contract means that there's no way for them to succeed. They are in a bunch of cap hell right now, but I think that's also because of I'm not saying that this deal is perfect by any means. It definitely is on the expensive part. But I will say, though, they made a lot of other terrible decisions that factored into why they were in cap hell just as much as this move, too, if that makes sense. Well, they made a lot of trades. They did a lot of things. But ultimately, um, Jared Goff, as this article states, March 20th, he collected $21 million for the 2020 roster bonus. He has a $25 million uh, salary that's going to become fully guaranteed for 2021. And then he has another roster bonus coming up uh, in 2021. And he has a $15 million 2022 roster bonus that will be fully guaranteed. So, yes, they made a lot of moves that have been head-scratching before. But that was in an effort to try to win before Goff made this money. They were trying desperately to win before Goff started to make the big money because now they can't make those crazy moves that they were able to make before because now Goff's got this deal. Yeah, Jalen Ramsey being one of them. That's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. Now, here's the one thing I'll say about this, though. I don't think it's a good deal by any means. Don't get me wrong. But if you had that contract but surrounded him, like if you had that contract with your quarterback, I still think you can win. You just have to make sure that you put the right pieces around him, and that's the tough part. But it's not impossible. Uh, or you have to make sure that that guy's the right quarterback. And I think we are all in agreement that Jared Goff isn't the guy that can win with mediocre pieces. Correct. He definitely needs help around him, no doubt. Right. So the earliest the Rams can get out of that contract is the spring of 2023. They could get out of it in 2022 if they pay him $15.5 million to not play for them. So essentially, Jared Goss, the starting quarterback for the Rams, at least until the spring of 2023. I'm not anti-Jared Goff, though. I know the contract is super hefty, and that's the conversation we're having, but it's not as if I think Jared Goff stinks. I'm I not mean, sitting you can't here, win with him. I'm not sitting here saying he stinks. I'm just saying I wouldn't want to be married to him for that long for that money. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, but I still think that there's worse scenarios. I mean, number two on the list to me would be a worse scenario. Well, that's a, yes. I mean, you signed Tannehill based on what he did for you last year. He did the one, he came in and played a handful of games, took him to the AFC championship game. Now, keep in mind, though, 
they signed him with the established running back situation they have with Derrick Henry. I think more is going to be interesting to find out how that contract hampers them as opposed to this contract hampering them. You're saying Derrick Henry's contract, how that is going to put some damage on it? Yeah, because Derrick Henry, you wonder, all right, at what point does the wheels just fall off of Derrick Henry? When does he slow down? I mean, he's 26 years old. He's been in the league for four years. Last year, he had 303 carries. You know, what happens? We saw the last time a running back had numbers like this was DeMarco Murray. And the next thing you know, the Eagles got him, and he looked like a shot fighter. Absolutely. We put this comparison out there a lot with Malcolm Jenkins. You don't reward players when they put that many miles on their body. At some point, that's when you actually take away from what they're going to get paid. And with Derrick Henry, that is definitely scenario the scenario that is going to be laid out. Yeah, so I know signing their quarterback, Tannehill, four-year, $118 million, got $62 million fully guaranteed. The Titans can get out of this in the final year of the deal if they're not happy. It means they're kind of married him to him for the next three years. But I think you're okay with being married to him for three years if Henry is healthy with him during that. It's like this has to be the arranged marriage. You know what I mean? It's like you have to pick this quarterback and this running back and put them together because if you don't have the running back, this is a bad contract on Tannehill. If you have Henry playing at his best, I think I'm okay with this marriage. Now let me ask you this. Would you rather have – Tannehill and the running back together. Tannehill and the running back together. Or just the Jared Goff contract that we laid out before. Oh, I'd rather have Tannehill and the running back. I think Goff is a okay quarterback. I don't think he's better than middle of the pack. Okay. See, I would lean the other way, and that's just because Ryan Tannehill to me is worse. So why can't you find a way to use Jared Goff's contract and find a running back that would be very lethal? If you're in love with this this combination of quarterback running See, back. See, Tannehill, people I think just don't like people view him he's, as just he's standard five hundred. I mean, he is Mr. Five Hundred. If you look at his stats, he is just your very average QB, which listen. I've been on the record for a while. You don't need an elite quarterback to win title. You don't. You just need someone who can do their job, and if you have the proper team around it. Nick Foles was not an elite quarterback. He won the Super Bowl. I mean, you don't need to be elite, but he is the definition of 500. Well, I mean, his record is 49-49. and Now, you can make an argument that he was on some really bad Miami teams and made them average. I mean, 7-9, and 8-8, 8-8, 6-10, 8-5. Five and six, and then he comes to Tennessee, which has some decent talent, and he goes seven and three. I mean, those Miami teams were not very good, and yeah, he was just an average guy there. I think he's just an average guy here. But if you're the question that you asked me was, I would rather have Tannehill and Henry over than trying to surround Goff with with talent. Okay. Uh, Listen, I don't think that that is a bad option. I'm not going to sit here and say that, wow, how dare you think that way? I mean, you're going to, you just saw it. It can be successful. You literally watch them go through teams. Yeah. It can be successful. But I, I personally think that I would lean more towards the Jared Goff situation because I think that if you surround him with the right pieces, as we saw with that one run, but the contract's different. I get it. Yeah, well, he can do something better than Tannehill. And while Tannehill is 49 and 49 lifetime, his touchdown to interception numbers are pretty solid. I mean, he's thrown 145 touchdowns. His interceptions are high, 81, but the 145 to 81, I mean, he's throwing almost two to one touchdowns to interceptions. I mean, so, and last year, 
22 touchdowns, just six interceptions. You can make a case with the strong running game, which he didn't have in Miami by any stretch of the imagination, that with the strong running game that he has a better uh, ability to take care of the ball. That in Miami he didn't have a lot of weapons or skill set or helpful from a running game, so he was you know forcing stuff. And keep in mind, this is a guy that played wide receiver in college for the most part and then transferred over to uh, quarterback. He gets drafted in the first round, and he's thrown right into the starting mix and goes seven and nine right off the bat, eight and eight. I mean, if you were to say you had a rookie quarterback, which is typically on a bad team, which Miami was, and you're around five hundred, that's not bad. I, I think Tannehill is a good quarterback. He's not great, but I, again, to go back to the question you asked, I would take the combination of Tannehill and Henry over Goff, and I don't even think I think about it. Well, how about and Goff one? has been to a Super Bowl, so. It's not like he's got, like, no credentials. He does have something on his resume. Absolutely. Now, how about this one? Because number three on the list is Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Would you say Tannehill and the running back combination over Kirk Cousins? I like Cousins. I'm not a Cousins hater, but I think I'd still go with Tannehill and Henry over having Cousins. Now, Cousins has a pretty good running game, too, when Dalvin Cook is healthy. I would lean Ryan Tannehill and the running back as well, Derrick Henry. And that's saying a lot. Listen, I'm not a Kirk Cousins hater either. I'm not one of those obnoxious guys. He get, He's one of those players. There's always someone in all of sports that gets the obnoxious amount of bashing that could never win the big game. I mean, it is definitely him, and I think it's overblown. But I do think that I would rely on what I saw last year with the Titans over Kirk Cousins. Cousins, by the way, two-year $66 million extension he signed in March of this year. So just a couple of months ago, he got another $66 million from these guys. I mean, he is the new Sam Bradford. That's exactly what I was just about to say. Sam Bradford 2.0. But listen, I think I'll give more credit to Kirk Cousins than Sam Bradford. I mean, at least he could play a little bit here. Yeah, I think Cousins is interesting, too, this year because they're not going to have digs there. How much is losing digs going to affect Kirk Cousins? But well, apparently he was back. a... He was a cancer in the locker room, though, so maybe maybe it will help. I don't know. Sometimes getting rid of people who are problems, kind of, even if they're a better talent, kind of helps out the squad from a you know personal standpoint. Uh, Joe Burrow is fourth on this list. This is the the uh, ESPN.com ranked how committed, how married all 32 teams are to their starters. So the Rams are number one, most committed to uh, golf. Tennessee's two, and a lot of this is because these guys just signed these deals. Cousins, three. Joe Barrow just signed. He was the first-round pick. Actually, he's not even signed yet, but he's going to get a 40-year, fully guaranteed $36 million deal. He'll get a $28 million signing bonus. That's kind of what is in place for the number one overall pick. Number four is Russell Wilson. Uh, number five, excuse me, is Russell Wilson. He got a four-year, $140 million extension in 2019. He is signed through 2023. If I'm the now of all the guys on this list, I don't mind being married to him at all. <laughs> yeah, I would say the same. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't think now the Seahawks, as you mentioned, they won a Super Bowl back when Russell Wilson was making third round pick money. That's what he was drafted in the third round. So when they drafted him, they got him on a tremendous deal. They win a Super Bowl. They had been to the Super Bowl again. I mean, they were winning because of the contract that he had signed. Now, this Seahawks team is kind of falling back into wild card status as opposed to Super Bowl status because Wilson makes so much money. Yeah, that's all around the league, too. I mean, and then when you look at 
what the New England Patriots did year after year with Tom Brady. Now it's all coming full circle. I mean, he wasn't getting paid this type of money. He wasn't touching $30 million a year, and they were able to consistently make their teams good, and, and I think that's a huge factor. Every team in this league struggles once they have to pay the big bucks. Well, and the Eagles are in the same boat. Now, number six is Tua. Number seven is uh, Justin Herbert, who was uh, the first-round pick. And then number eight is Carson Wentz. The Eagles were in the same boat as Seattle. They went to a Super Bowl when they had Carson Wentz making very little money. And part of the reason they could do it is because they weren't paying Wentz so they could sign a guy like Foles to a lot of money to be the backup quarterback, and they put a lot more money into the backup spot than most teams would do. So the fact that Wentz ended up going, you know, whatever he was, 11-2 and or whatever his record was before he ended up getting hurt, he had led them to a spot to hand it over to Foles to allow them to get the number one seed, home field advantage, and then they go to the Super Bowl and win it. But now Wentz makes four years, $128 million, including a 66.5 fully guaranteed signing bonus. He is signed through 2024. So, Hunter, when can the Eagles get out of this contract? I think it's kind of interesting. His contract structure is staggered on roster bonus, that were designed to help the Eagles navigate this year and next year, or last year and this year's salary cap. Then he's getting, so this year he's getting $30 million and 25.4 fully guaranteed next year. All right. So when can the Eagles get out of this? It's really after next season because they put so much into these two. And then after that, it was, all right, then we can evaluate you for the next couple of years. Can you stay healthy? Can you, you know, continue to win? We'll evaluate that for two years. But there's a way for them to get out of that deal and not really take a lot of hit after the 2021 season. So what that tells me is you can get out of Carson's contract in two seasons, yep. which I think is, is reasonable. But he's number eight on the list. So you're telling me the person who is number eight on the list in the NFL has a two-year window of being okay with his contract. That just shows you how these contracts are made up for these quarterbacks. I mean, two years, that's all. You have two years left pr pretty much, and he's eighth on the list? That's just so interesting. He is eight on the list. Now, it says, um, Wentz, this is this is what um, the, 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 the comment says on Carson Wentz. None of his salary is guaranteed behind 2021. $15 million of his 2022 salary is guaranteed if he's on the team in March of 20. So once the March, the 2021 season is over, Super Bowl is played in February. That season is over to get ready for the, the upcoming 2021 season. He has no money guaranteed, but they have to make the decision about him by that March date. So they have to pick up that salary. It would be $15 million, and then he would be the quarterback again for 2022. But after that 2021 season is over, they can make the decision. We've seen you play in 2020. We've seen you play in 2021. We feel like uh, we've seen enough to make a decision. We're not going to fully guarantee that, and then he would be cut. Essentially what they did with Malcolm Jenkins. I think this is a good contract for the Eagles. I mean, I like being in this spot, and I'm a huge Carson Wentz supporter. What's going to be awkward, though, is similar to the Malcolm Jenkins thing, 
when a little bit different because he's not going to be at that age in his career, but you know bringing him back can be a thing. But at the same time, you still have a lot of questions. So you're like stuck in the middle almost, and they're going to have to come up with a big-time decision. That's when it's going to get really awkward in about two years. You know, if, if he shows you when he is healthy that he can be an X-factor, but he's still struggling to stay yeah. on the field at times, but you know he has the talent and you're kind of stuck, that's when a really hard decision is going to have to come into play. Right. If he is hurt for the next two seasons and the team is like similar to what they were this past year and the year before where they're 9-7 and seven, but they get in the playoffs or they're 10-6 and six and they get in the playoffs or they're 9-7 and seven and they just missed the playoffs because he ended up getting hurt a couple of games. Well, keep in mind, too, the wild card will be another team, right? So if you're going 9-7, and seven, I feel you got a good chance now to get into the playoffs That's almost true. every time. That's almost. True. Well, and if you're 9-7 and seven and you make it as that seventh wild card, that, that seventh team, and you've done that for two years in a row, which would really be almost four years in a row because you were 9-7 and seven and you won the division because the Cowboys were just such a mismanaged disaster for the last couple of years. You were 9-7 and seven and got in twice because they were such a joke and that you did it again for two more years. That means you would be 9-7 and seven four years in a row but made the playoffs because of this seventh wild card team. The Eagles could say, you know what, we're just kind of stuck in neutral Let's get out of this deal. They have so essentially they have Carson Wentz is on the clock, and the end date is March twenty twenty one. Well, how about this? Interesting, you bring that up. If they're nine and seven for those couple years, at what point is Doug Peterson questioned? Would Doug Peterson get canned if he's going nine and seven, nine and seven, nine and seven, nine and seven over and over and over again? Fair question. I think it's tied to the quarterback, though. So, do you think both would go or both would stay? Um. Well, if the quarterback both would stay if they're nine in and seven scenario. and the quarterback's constantly getting hurt, the question is: Are you getting judged the same way because we drafted a quarterback for you in the second round? Can you say that again? I'm a little confused. If I'm if I'm nine and seven and I'm saying, well, my quarterback got hurt, are they judging him differently, or are they judging him the same because they say, no, we're not judging you any differently. We drafted you a backup in the second round. Yeah, you so you're talking about Doug Peterson. I thought you were talking about Carson Wentz when you said that. Okay, yeah, so from Doug Peterson's perspective, yeah, absolutely. It, it it would be very interesting. But then you can argue if the kid's just not good enough to play quarterback in this league, which some people question that he might not have the skill set to be that good of a quarterback sure. in this league. Then that question comes into play. Well, yeah, sure, you drafted me a second-round quarterback, but he's a sixth-round quarterback or a fifth-round quarterback. Well, and I think they would probably see that and make that, you know, um, they would make that map it out and say, oh, look, we drafted this guy and he obviously can't play. You know, We're not going to fault you for that. But I just wonder how long of a leash Doug Peterson has after winning that championship. Because this city Fair was question. going crazy. Crazy when Andy Reid was here and things obviously towards the end it wasn't the same. But you know, if you're going nine and seven, nine and seven, at what point is it, dude? Let's go, Doug. Let's let's step it up a bit. Happy hour Friday on the Sports Bash. It's brought to you by the free 973 ESPN mobile app. Download it now. Brought to you by First Bank of Sea Isle. They are Cayman County's lending expert, banking for your everyday life at First Bank of Sea Isle. Find out how they can simplify your banking needs. Your partner since 1888, member FDIC, equal housing lender. When we come back, Trey Thomas was on the Inside the Birds podcast and had some 
Very interesting things to say about Andre Dillard. There's been so much talk about Dillard. Is he the right guy? They're going to bring Peters back. But something Trey Thomas says really sticks out about Dillard and training camp and why they might have to bring Peters back or not. Stay tuned for that. The Sports Batch Live, Mike and Broads, 97.3 ESPN, the free mobile app. Yeah, happy hour Friday. Todd Rank tonight at 5.30. We'll have a little fun to close out the Friday show. Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, at Bros81, at Mike Gill Show on Twitter. Follow us there. Ask Mike and Broads, 4.30 today. Uh, Josh just sent us this thing. John Harbaugh and Pete Carroll both won Super Bowls, and they're still there, obviously. So you asked about Peterson and how long of a leash he might have. Well, Harbaugh won in 2012. He's been there since then. They won 8-8, eight 10-6, and 5-11, eight, 8-8, and 9-7, and 10-6. Eight and eight, and and now, take out last year where they went 14-2. and two. If they were, if the Eagles were eight, if they won the Super Bowl and then went eight and eight, ten and six, five and eleven, eight and eight, nine and seven, and ten and six, would you start to be restless a little bit about Doug Peterson? I think Doug Peterson would be safe at that point. I would. The ten and six at the end there, the nine Saves and seven, them. then ten and six, and then he was fourteen and two, and that fourteen and two kind of shows why, because there was some talk about Harbaugh leaving. There was some talk about him even getting traded or getting, you know, uh, just moving on because it was time to go. And then he goes 14 and two. So that's why when you have a good coach, you don't let the guy go. Oh, absolutely. I, I Listen, I'm not trying to say I want Doug Peterson fired by any means. It's just it's an interesting conversation to think about how long of a leash someone has after winning the Super Bowl. That's all, especially in a town like this. Right. And but then you he got was the, saved at that 10 and six mark. I think you got Pete Carroll who won the Super Bowl in 2013. And then he went 12 and four, 10 and six, 10, five and one, nine and seven, 10 and six, 11 and five. So he has continued to win. Now the problem is since the Super Bowl, now they got back to the Super Bowl the next year and then lost. But since that Super Bowl loss to the Patriots, they haven't felt like a Super Bowl team, more like just a wild card team. I thought last year they had a little bit more spark of a wild card team, but not a legit team either. It was like somewhere in the middle, maybe. But the the one thing I want to bring up with Doug P is if you were to let him go, how quick do you think he gets picked right back a up? A second. Exactly. And that's how you know that you have a good head coach. As fast as Brett Brown would get picked up. Uh, wow. You think Brett Brown would get picked up instantly? In a second. I love to hear that. Not, don't not get even, me going with Brett Brown. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in an emotional day today with Sixers fans, and I just don't know if I can handle it yet. All right, well, that could be an ass Mike at Broads today, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I think if Brett Brown got fired, he'd be, pick up, he'd be picked up before the Sixers could put out the press release. And same with Doug Peterson. If Doug Peterson was fired, much like Andy Reid, Andy Reid, didn't even get to get out of the building, and he was already going to Kansas City. I mean, the Eagles decide, hey, we're going to move on from Reed, and I don't think he cleared out his desk yet, and he was already hired. Since Brett Brown would be hired in an instant if he got fired. I think so, too. But how about this? What about Jim Schwartz? If Jim Schwartz gets canned, do you think someone's out there ready to pick him up for a D coordinator position? Uh, Yeah, and the, pro the question I think with Schwartz would be, would he want to do it? Why? You think he'd want to go for a head coaching job? No, not necessarily. I just, you know, when he was the defensive coordinator in Buffalo and then they brought Rex Ryan in there, they tried to work together and he was like, all right, this isn't working. And then he went and worked for the league office for a year. So you wonder if he would just take a seat out for a year and then kind of reevaluate. Um, but I think he would be able to kind of, 
pick and choose if he he would have offers just as fast as Brett Brown and Doug Peterson would. Jim Schwartz is one of the five to ten best defensive coordinators in the league, regardless of what these jackasses out here who don't know their ass from their elbow when it comes to evaluating defense. They think the guy can't coach defense. Well, you try to coach a defense with six guys off the street playing defensive back. I mean, I don't understand how people evaluate stuff uh, and call themselves a real fan. Like, they just don't get it. Jim Schwartz gets a job on every availability he knocks on. He They, they would say, you're hired 100%. Three years ago, four. what was it, three years ago, four years ago? I think three. I, was... I got three years for you. They won the Super Bowl. Okay, then it was four. It was the year before the Super Bowl run. I was the obnoxious get Jim Schwartz out of here guy because there were some things I just couldn't stand. But as I started to to learn the game a little bit deeper and understand a little bit more, and then I watched him coach his ass off with a bunch of guys from the streets, I admired him. And now I don't want to let him go. Isn't that funny, though, how that goes? I was the obnoxious. Yeah, I'm not lying to you. I was the obnoxious oh, I can Brett Brown guy. I, I that, can, that was me to Jim Schwartz. There's a lot of those guys. There's a lot of the obnoxious Jim Schwartz haters out there. I just think a lot of them just don't really understand football for the most part. I mean, then that's okay. It's a tough game to kind of understand. But when you, you know, get a chance to talk to people in the game and talk to people who play defense and work for him and played under him and hear what they say about him and then played for other guys and then realize – Look, how much turnover they had due to injury that year, two years ago. We used to battle on the air about this, and I'd be like, do you understand? He's got Cravon LeBlanc, and I couldn't even name the other guys. And there's still Devontae Bosby, and they were still competitive in games. It was unbelievable. Like, that's not easy to just survive. Now, people don't, oh, it doesn't blitz enough. He, whoa, I love that. He blitzed so much last year that it actually costed them the game in Atlanta, but the the blitz was working so well all game, so he did it at the end, and then with hindsight, oh, you don't blitz there. You were the same person telling him to blitz for the last two years. Nah, no doubt. Like, there's a reason he wasn't blitzing, and I have the answer to why. He knows more than Joe on the couch in Ventnor. Hey. Joe on the couch from Ventner is a good dude, I bet. He might be a nice guy, and I'd love to have a beer with Joe on the couch and Ventner when we're hanging out. But Joe on the couch and Ventner doesn't know his ass from his elbow when it comes to coaching defense. I have news for Joe and Ventner or Phil in Summers Point or John in North Cape May. Guess what? Those are made-up names, by the way. I don't know any of those people. Jim Schwartz is one of the five. So, if, in other words, if you want to get rid of Jim Schwartz, be prepared to have a worse guy come in and take over so as much as you're complaining about schwartz now you better be prepared to complain more about the next guy and that's not to say he's perfect no, because trust me there are perfect. times where the sticks bother me a little bit because sometimes the sticks is a little too soft and sometimes he doesn't help people over the top where i think maybe he can utilize it here and there but when you look at what he does you can argue that he might be the smartest football mind in the entire Eagles organization as a coach. I think you're going to see something interesting this year. I'm very intrigued by Schwartz and how he coaches without Malcolm Jenkins and what he has to do to try. We could talk to Andrew about this later. What he has to try to do to compensate for not having Jenkins and will it help or hurt that he has a guy 
that he loses Jenkins, but he has Slay. In other words, does he value his corners more, or does he value having the versatility of Jenkins? I am really intrigued to see what he draws up without Jenkins out there. Well, do you think Slay stays on one side, or do you think he shadows the best wide receiver? Great question, dude. I think uh, something we can bring up with Andrew, too. Do Because in Detroit, he moved all around. But here, Schwartz typically doesn't like to move his guys all around. He doesn't like to kind of follow them around. But maybe that's because he had two average players. But you can't. I mean, you just can't imagine having... Darius Slay on one side facing, I'm just spitballing, like Calvin Ridley, let's say, and then have Avante Maddox on Julio Jones, like just because they're playing that one side. There's no way that you can allow that to happen, right? Um, you would think not, especially if there's a guy who's comfortable moving around. Now, some guys aren't comfortable. I don't understand. I've never played corner before in my life, so I don't really know the nuances of playing on one side as opposed to the other side. I mean, you would think that covering and defending a guy – on the outside is similar on one side as it would be on the other. Why you would feel more comfortable on one side than the other. But, I mean, I guess there's some corners that just feel more comfortable playing the left side outside or the right side outside. Yeah, it's weird. It's not like an offensive line player because I can see the difference in playing left tackle and right tackle. Your yeah. foot, your your feet are different when, you, when you're off the snap, things like that. But I, I guess if I'm going to try and understand why, it has something to do with how they work their one side, like which way's towards the middle. If your right side's closer to the middle, it's just your brain is naturally comfortable with a certain sideline on, on one side of your body or not. But it shouldn't be that much of a difference. I Yeah, I am interested to see. That is one thing that I'm interested to see, the rotation of the corners, how he does it, and how he look. Let, we can we can certainly sit here and say that maybe he relied on Jenkins too much, but that's, that's the one. Very possible. That's the one guy that you know you have that whole theory of. Well, he 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 um he had enough. He had so much confidence in him to a fault that he put so much on his plate that he didn't put enough attention on what the other guys did well. He put so much attention on what he did well, but not enough attention to what the other guys did well. That's a possibility, but I'm very interested to see what Jim Schwartz draws up without the services of Malcolm Jenkins. Does he utilize Jalen Mills in that similar role? Does he utilize uh, Kayvon Wallace? Does he try to, you know, make him his new Malcolm Jenkins? I think we're all just assuming that Mills gets the first crack at it and he plays. But, you know, I'm looking at uh, Pro Football Focus last night. They put their 32 starters out there. They predicted who the stars would be. And guess what? Mills was not in there. It was Quavon Wallace. They think Wallace is going to be the starter opposite uh, Rodney McLeod. I don't know if I can say that right off the jump. Do it. I mean, I, I would I would love for that to happen, but for right off the bat, I just don't know. But it's interesting you bring that up well, with Jalen Mills. It's Wallace. A rookie, third-round pick, or Mills, who has very little to no NFL safety experience. Why can't it be Will Parks? Uh, that's interesting. That's another name. Yeah, I think Will Parks. But this is something I thought was really interesting, and it ties together with Jalen Mills. So Dave Zangaro of NBC Sports Philadelphia had a mailbag up for the Eagles, and I read his article. And one of the questions was, who do you think the first starter demoted to backup is? And he gave Avante Maddox or Jalen Mills as his answer. And with Jalen Mills, I mean, that it just triggered when you said that. You know, how much of a leash does he have 
if he starts making some bad plays out there instantly, is it a quick pull? Hey, what Will position Parker's is in. he playing? Say that again? What position is he playing? In this scenario, it was safety. All right, so I think Will Parks is a guy that they want to kind of have in their back pocket. Does that make sense? So you don't think that they would want to utilize him as the starter? No, I think one of the reasons why they brought him here was that so they can use him in multiple spots. They can use him in the slot. They can use him in the linebacker role. They can, similar to what they did with Jenkins, but they might not want to overexpose him. I don't know if they're going to need someone else to play in the slot with LeBlanc, with Roby Coleman, if Avante Maddox lines up there for a play or two. Like, I just feel like maybe there's so much going on in the slot, they might not even need to utilize him there. You're right. I think the slot is a spot that they are pretty they are pretty deep and they are pretty strong at. I like LeBlanc, and yet I think he's third on their depth chart. Yeah, he's definitely third. If well, you, you could even – he might even be fourth technically, but because Avante Maddox has to play on the outside, that helps LeBlanc maybe get more of an opportunity. I agree. I think, like, Avante Maddox and Cravon LeBlanc, if those two were battling for the nickel spot, I'd be okay with that. You throw uh, Roby Coleman into the mix, and now I say, man, uh, by the way, pro football focus for their starting corner had Avante Maddox beating out Sidney Jones. And I think that's the way it's going to be, at least from the beginning. But that goes back to Dave Zangara when he when he said in his mailbag, if it is Avante Maddox that goes and loses his spot first and he's demoted, that means Sidney Jones is out there. And some people might cringe when they hear that. Some people might be excited for his opportunity. I don't know where I stand. And by the way, a name we're not talking about at all is Russell Douglas. He seems to be almost on his way out, kind of. All right. Uh, happy hour Friday. Good vibes only on the Friday. Sports right. Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. When we come back, Trey Thomas. How good can Andre Dillard be? He spoke about it on the recent edition of the Inside the Birds podcast. We'll play that audio for you coming up next here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget, download the free mobile app powered by First Bank of Sea Isle. And of course, coming up, at 4 o'clock, Andrew DeCecco as football at 4. We'll get more into these Eagles topics on the other side. You'll hear from Trey Thomas. Then in the 3 o'clock hour, a little bit of NBA, a little bit of Sixers, a little bit of Pucks, a little bit of Flyers. And we will get into the Broad Line, 3.30, bottom of the hour, all today. Happy Hour Friday. Ah, a little Happy Hour Friday. What's the... Uh, IPA of choice for the happy hour Friday. For me or for you? For you. Well, I just like the good old Yards Pale Ale. So it's not an IPA, but it's a nice pale ale. It's my go-to. I love it. That's what's happening tonight? Yeah. Hmm. What do you mean? Hmm. You, I'm, I'm going to bring some over, and you're going to say, damn. I've had a Yards Pale. I don't it's, hate it. It's just if I'm having a happy hour Friday, I'm going with a little something a little different. No. Well, if I had the options, you know, if there was a billion beers in front of me. I, see, this is what I, I do appreciate about the way that you handle the IPA business. You remember the names and this and that. Yep. I just like to just, uh, let me see your menu. Uh, yeah, let me get this IPA. And then I just have it. I know you have the app. I get it. But I'm just like a well, one-time no, will, IPA guy. I will look over the menu if they have something that's new. That's, that's how I have so many is because I sample so many different ones. Yeah, but you, you're good at keeping that in your mind. Oh, I like this there, that there. I just I forget about them all. Well, that's because I have this app that helps me. Like, uh, I'm going to have uh, a Loose Cannon IPA. Heavy Seas Loose Cannon 
is what I think I'm going to go with. I have a couple more of those left in the fridge when I get home for Happy Hour Friday. Heavy Seas Loose Cannon out of Baltimore, Maryland. I had it on a boat in Baltimore, and I've kept that in the back of my brain. Of uh, And I saw it, found it at a place here, and uh, I picked up a sixer, have the Loose Cannon. Also, the cloud-sourced, hazy, juicy IPA from Two Roads is something that I'm uh, going to have to hop back into. See what I did there? Hop back in there? Oh, yeah. Now, I've actually had the Loose Cannon because I lived in Maryland for a couple years. Did Good you? beer. Yeah. Uh, heavy Seas I got loose them in cannon. the bottles, though. They had the purple purple yeah. box. Yeah. Purple. I'm not, you know what's funny? I have uh, this thing called, at my house, I have this thing called a physics, okay? So the physics is this uh, device that turns your bottled beer and canned beer into a draft beer. That's magnificent, but you're anti-draft beer, No, I see, I got the physics because I was really into draft beer for a while there. And then I took a turn to canned beers. Now I just love drinking out of the can. There's nothing wrong with what I'm about to say, but it is a factor. When it's in the can, I just guzzle them down differently. Don't mind it. I, I know, that's what I'm saying. How it's, do you do? You, know, you have a couple <laughs> how do you do's on a Friday. On a happy hour Friday. I, I don't mind that at all. Like, you're right. We have a trash can on the porch, and halfway through the day, I'm like, I filled this trash can up already. I'm not surprised. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Trey Thomas, how good can Andre Dillard be? This is from the Inside the Birds podcast. He can be really good. All right, he didn't want to finish saying what he said. How good can Andre Dillard be? He can be really good. I, I really think Andre Dillard could be picked right up where I left off. JP took 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 it to a whole nother level. And I think Andre Dillard can be that same type that fits right back in and continue to be that long stay offensive tackle that that this city has grown used to. I think he can be good. He does a solid job at run blocking. I think his, his pass protection is getting there if he does it the right way. Now, are you surprised at what he said there? No, because you know what? I've heard him talk highly on Andre Dillard since they drafted him. They He likes what he has to bring to the table. I like what Dillard – I'm not a Dillard hater. I feel like Dillard is in the J.J. Ortega-Whiteside category. First glance, you don't like him, so now you think he stinks. But what I was surprised at what Thomas said was – he thinks that he's a good run blocker and that his pass blocking is getting better. Wasn't he sold to us as a better pass blocker and that his run blocking needed some work because at Washington State, he barely ever did it. So he's watching the film of this guy, and he's saying, I actually think his run blocking is pretty good and his pass blocking's coming along, and I was a little surprised by that. Well, you know what? I don't think that that's a bad thing to hear because that might mean that he worked on his run blocking so much that he actually is doing a damn good job at it now. And because maybe he focused on that so much, it took away a bit from his passing. So now he needs to kind of go back in that direction. But the way I would interpret it is, and maybe that's just being optimistic of, you know, wanting him to succeed, but maybe he worked so heavily on the run side. Could be. Um, I, and I agree. What you said does make have some merit that, he came in with a run blocking pedigree that maybe he's a good run blocker that can become a great run blocker. I mean, a, a good pass blocker that can become a great pass blocker. And he was an average run blocker who has now put so much work into that, that that is starting to get some notice. But this is what Trey Thomas said on the Inside the Birds podcast about Dillard at camp. I feel like they really need to challenge him in training camp. 
You know, there's no getting around that. He needs to get pushed. He needs whatever that defensive end that's out there that's practicing against him, he needs to come at him a couple times just to make sure that he's tight. So a couple interesting things there. They need to challenge him at camp. Does that mean – now, he said they need the defensive end to really, you know, be up and snarling in his face. Or is it bringing in a veteran and saying, you need to beat Jason Peters out? No, I don't think it's to that level. Now, in, in context there, that question that Jeff Mosher asked him was about, without having training camps, how will that really affect Andre Dillard? So his response was, listen, you got to kind of get him going there. You got to put someone on him on the other side to kind of wake him up and throw him right into the fire so he's ready to go, you know? So I don't think it has anything to do with Jason Peters. When you look at this and you see how it's playing out, you would just have to think that they are ready to go with Dillard. And, and the thing is, though, that makes it the most interesting, it seems like he's being questioned more up in the head then show what he's able to bring on the field as a player physically. Well, maybe and that's this, a little concerning. Well, maybe this is why. Now, as I continue to watch him, his first action against Washington was in an in a, in a unbalanced stance where they brought him in as the extra offensive lineman, and they put him over on the right side against Kerrigan. This is his first game, <laughs> and you put him in a situation where he's never been in that particular type of stance. And a lot of people think that, hey, man, if you can play left side, you can play right side. It's not that easy. So it's something that we just talked about is that he had been adjusting to new stances, trying to play the right side. He had been a left tackle in college. Now, I know Danny Watkins stunk out loud when he was here with Philadelphia. No. But he used to tell me all the time when I hosted the show with him, he used to tell me all the time, Mike, I played left tackle at Baylor. Nobody would give me the chance to play left tackle. They played him at right guard. So not only did he have very limited football experience, the only football experience he had was as a left tackle, and here he is in the NFL, and they're saying, you're going to not only play a different position, you're going to play a different side of the ball. And he said he just couldn't get it. It, it definitely is a lot harder than it probably seems to us who just say, what do you mean? You're just on the other side. How could it be much different? I mean, obviously it is because, as you can see, people do fail at the other side. you got to get comfortable. But from the left tackle standpoint, I like what I saw out of Andre Dillard, and I don't understand the bashing.